Welcome everyone to our fourth episode of This is Not an Improvised Podcast, a, a podcast from This is Not a Horse. My name is Roberta Manoni. My name is Liga Semen and we're so happy you joined us again for the fourth episode, um, dear listeners. And we are so excited because with us today is the founder of our school, Improbubble in, in Brussels. Uh, the woman who actually showed us improv in the first place, uh, Kelly Agathos. So I'm gonna uh, extend a warm welcome to Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Liga. Hi, Roberta. Hi. Lovely to be here with you guys. How are you doing today? I'm very, very well. I'm, uh, I'm very happy to be here. I've been looking forward uh, to this this morning. So thank you. It's really an, 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 an honor, actually, for us to have you, yes. so thank you so much. And I'm going to maybe pass to, to Roberta to, to get things rolling. Well, it's an honor so for me. It's, 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 we are really, really, we were kind of nervous, I have to say, to yes. have you online. <laughs> and we are also doing this through Zoom, and we have Stefan recording the show for us, and he's our, Stefan Erdinius is our, and a member of our this is not a horse and is our now tech sound master for our podcast so thank him i'm gonna thank him and we want to start with kelly just the usual question that we ask to our guests is how did you find improv and what how improv impacted your life <laughs> do you have uh, how much time do you have <laughs> no it's not as short <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, the, the short version is that I discovered improvisational theater in the summer of 2010 at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, the Edinburgh Fringe, for those of you who don't know, is the largest um, uh, theater festival in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's thousands of shows happening at the same time uh, in the course of three weeks in August every year. Uh, unfortunately, this year, I think it was uh, it had to be canceled due to the, to the crisis, the health crisis. Uh, but generally speaking, um, it's, it's an incredible, incredible launch pad for artists. Um, Fleabag, for instance, by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, if you know the show, um, yeah. presented yeah. there. A lot, of, um, a lot of actors like Emma Thompson, Rachel Weiss, etc. came uh, here with their their student troops and their student um, theater groups, and also big names come, stand-up comedians, uh, dancers, actors, and improvisers, as I discovered. So in the summer of 2010, um, I was there with uh, the UCL sketch comedy troupe, because I just finished my master's, and um, I'd, I'd always been into theater um, ever since I was a child. Um, uh, and, um, and in university, both at Cambridge and UCL, uh, I was able to indulge in my passion and, and do a lot, of, uh, a lot of stage productions. Um, and I had only just gotten into doing comedy because before that, most of the pieces I was in, into were quite dramatic. I didn't think I was funny. I didn't think I could do comedy. So that summer I discovered I could do comedy. And then um, while you're there in Edinburgh and you're flyering, everyone's on this long street called The Mile. And on the mile, everyone's uh, going, come to my show. No, come to my show. And there are little acts and jugglers and all sorts of stuff. It's a festival atmosphere. Um, and I see um, this friend of mine, um, another thespian from, uh, from my undergraduate degree, called James. And I ask James what he's doing here. And he, tell, and he asked me what I'm doing here. We're both here with another show. And his show is an improvised show with a group uh, called Fat Kitten Improv that um, no longer exists now in London, but was there for many, many years. And I ask him what improv is, and he tells me, come see. Uh, so I go to see this show, this uh, improvised show, and uh, my jaw dropped. My jaw was hanging from my face for the <laughs> entire duration. I was, I could not believe I, it, it just like it blew my mind that people were making everything <laughs> on the spot. Um, it was short form improv. So for listeners who don't know the difference between long and short form, it's, it's scenes uh, which usually have a challenge for the actors, some sort of game in it versus doing a whole story unscripted that looks a little more like a play. Uh, so in these, uh, I remember I remember distinctly, one challenge was um, uh, unlikely things to hear in a Star Wars movie. And someone said, <laughs> I am your uncle. And to me, <laughs> the time, this was genius. It was the funniest thing ever. I remember just thinking that all these actors on stage were genius and oh my God. 
quad, they think so quickly on their feet. Um, and after that, it was just love, um, a love affair. Everything I saw at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival uh, during the rest of that summer that I was up there with my sketch comedy was after that improv. So I saw an improvised musical. I saw improvised film noir. I saw an improvised one-man show. Uh, everything, um, everything I could get my hands on and I consumed uh, was improv. Um, and after that, I, I still like, at the, at the time, I was only a, um, an audience member, a very enthusiastic audience member. Um, I still never thought I could do it myself. Uh, but after my master's, that autumn, I moved uh, back to Brussels, where, um, where I had gone to school, um, and I was coming back to live with my parents for what I thought was just six months to do an internship at the European Commission, you know, save some cash on the side, and then um, move on, go somewhere else <laughs> with my life. Um, and um, it was important to me uh, while I was about to do my internship at the commission, not to lose um, my passion for theater, uh, not, not to just uh, go into the world of work, but also keep the artistic side alive. Um, so I became very involved with the, the American Theater Company. And uh, at the American Theater Company, where at the time I was rehearsing for a play called Anton in Show Business, I saw this advertisement for an improv workshop um, with, uh, with Ryan Miller, who is now a very, very dear friend and mentor. Um, and uh, my first thought was, oh, improv. Oh, but, but I could never do it. And then my second thought was, but nobody knows. So if I suck, no one there knows me. It's going to be okay. I can do it. Um, and, and that's what gave me the, the strength to get in that class because I was terrified. I, I thought, well, I'm not that funny. I definitely can't think on my feet. Um, so if anything else, uh, this is good because it's really out of my comfort zone. And so even, even if I suck at it, um, I can tell myself, well, you tried. Uh, so I went in there and it was delightful. It, it was scary because it, obviously it was the first time uh, I, I was doing all this. Um, but what I hadn't banked on was the fun you could have um, when you co-create and, and the safety that's created uh, through the group because you're all in the same boat. At the end of that weekend workshop, um, Ryan asked me if I wanted to be in a show with, uh, with uh, some, of the, um, some of the rest of the um, improv workshop takers. And I told him, um, but, but I've never done it before. He's like, it's okay. Uh, you, I've seen you. It's fine. You'll be great. And uh, again, at my, uh, in my head, I thought, well, if I suck, no one knows me yet. <laughs> it's fine. And, and again, that gave me the courage to get up on stage and discover that actually the group takes care of you and no one lets anyone fall. And, and so I had a, a wonderful first experience on stage. I, I still remember that show. I still remember the people that were in it because um, I, I ended up being in a troupe called the Ghost Sheep with them after that. Um, um, and and the, that troupe is still going strong and, and the improv community of the American Theater Company, um, uh, which I founded in uh, 2012, I think, uh, with some of those first members, is still um, thriving. And um, yeah, that was uh, my introduction, the world of improv. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, great. And I, I mean, a lot of things to, to touch upon there, but I wanted to ask you, because something that I think is really interesting and relevant that you said also in, in terms of what I was thinking of, because also we talk about our, our improv journeys on the show, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you said, okay, but I, you see this and it's true. I mean, when you first, it's like, wow, okay, how is this happening? I mean, it's so funny. It's so on your feet, but then you said, oh, but can I do this? I mean, am I funny? Do I have to, you know, and this kind of block, but this idea, like when people see it as well, like we, when, when we've done shows and people come say, but how do you do it? How do you know you're going to say something funny or not? So this idea of like, oh, why, how is it that, you know, we might be afraid because we don't think that we're funny enough. But as you said, when you go, it's the stories, it's, it's, it's the situation. So how do you see this question of like, oh, but I can't do improv because I'm not funny or it has to be funny. Or I just wanted to, to get your take on that because I think it, it, it may be to some of the listeners who want to try, they're actually mm -hmm. afraid because they're like, oh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't do it. I, I'm not like those um, SNL people or whatever, or what they yeah. think improv is. Well, well, the first thing I tell um, any potential student, for instance, someone who asks me if I think they could do it, even if they don't think they're funny, et cetera, maybe I've even said it to you guys when you, when you started off, is that um, anyone can do improv. If you've ever been a child that has played with a box, 
or played pretend with their friends, like, I don't know, cops and robbers, power rangers, uh, cowboys. If you've ever done that as a child, you already have all the tools you need to become an improviser because that's what improvisation is. It's creating a story with your fellow improvisers on stage and it's getting back to that, that childlike state of play in which we're not self-conscious. Like the children who play with, uh, who, who play with their friends, they're not worried about what, what the adults watching them think. <laughs> they're, they're in it. They're in the moment. They're having fun. They're laughing. They're falling down. They're getting up. They're trying again. Um, and and they're, just, uh, they're just happy in the moment, in, in, in the world that their imaginations have created collectively. Um, but unfortunately, we lose that when we become teenagers because that's when we start getting self-conscious. And that's when the fear of ridicule starts, uh, starts overriding that, that, um, that joy and that pure creativity. Um, now, linking that to the funniness, because that's another thing that um, I'm, still, I'm still fascinated by. And, uh, and, and uh, now that I'm also um, starting to get interested in stand-up, um, I'm, I'm still thinking of um, very often. One thing that I think um, is very important uh, for anyone to understand about comedy whether you're in this art form or not, is that um, the truth is always the funniest thing. The authentic truth is funny. The uh, manufactured joke, um, the thing you say on purpose to get laughs, will never be as funny as something genuine. Yes. Um, that kind of funny um, is slower. It takes time. It has a slow build. And it takes having a quiet confidence to be able to to go through and 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 be in the moment with the silence of the audience and not need the validation of laughter if you are the sort of person who needs the validation of laughter then you will be working like you will end up working harder for the laughs mm. because your your brain will be in overdrive thinking okay joke 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 What's in here? One liner. Um, and then also usually we, we go to our most base instinct. So we go in the sexual or scatological or, or um, generic um, stereotypical direction because, because um, if, if we're trying to, to think of something fast on the spot, then, then those are some of the immediate places our brain goes. Um, I don't find that kind of humor funny. I think it's very... Um, it's very basic um, and, and it's, it's not very sophisticated and, and also it's, it's quite hard. One book uh, which I recommend uh, for readers, um, improvisers especially, who are interested in exploring this idea of comedy and the truth is, is actually called Truth and Comedy by Sharna Halpern yes. and Del Rose, which uh, you, you guys might know. Um, and, and they have um, sections devoted to why it is that the truth is funny, why it is that if you allow yourself to be vulnerable on stage, uh, the, the funny will come. Uh, because ultimately, when we're on stage with each other, um, I'm not 100% I'm not uh, going to be ever in your head or know the direction you want to take the story, and neither will you. And therefore, um, the delightful mistakes from the miscommunications will, will generate comedy. If, if we're not connected though, and if we don't see those opportunities and, and use them, um, we're going to all be in our heads trying to be funny and work against each other that, rather than work with each other. Yeah, and what, you, what you're saying is really important for us because, for example, what you say is that being there in the moment, be, being true to yourself, having the courage to be there in that moment, just not pretending, just mm. be there. And mm -hmm. oh, yes, the miscommunication is, the, the, is acknowledging also that the yes. mistakes are made on scene. And this is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what you said about the fact that you're never alone on stage is very mm -hmm. important because the people there support you. Even if you're at a loss, your members will support you. And this is what improv for me is one of the greatest gifts. If, if you're too busy being in your head and worrying and, and trying to find one-liners and, and trying to, to force the funny, um, you're also not allowing your fellow members to be inspired and to take something and, and make it bigger or create a pattern. 
Yeah. Uh, because um, one way to get to comedy is is to find the game of the scene. And if you're too uh, if you're too busy controlling everything, then then maybe that will become the game of the scene. You're the one controlling everyone, but it's never going to be as satisfying, and it's never going to be as as genuine or as laughter inducing as allowing the funny to happen to happen. And and personally, I think also that what's what's beautiful. Um, about our art form, but also in other art forms. I, I like this a lot in in, um, in in film, for instance, as well. I, I like it when you have a little bit of tragedy and comedy in the same thing. <laughs> I, I like shows that are able to both touch you and make you laugh uh, because then either of those emotions will be heightened because you're always building and releasing and building and releasing the tension. Um, so I would caution against using funny as a goal in and of itself and focus on, on being there, being there for your partner and observing everything and getting inspired by each other. That will take you not only to funny places, but on, on journeys you never expected to and, and telling stories that are not going to be predictable. Yeah. When, when, one thing that we going on another let's say um fil rouge of this podcast mm -hmm. because i mean we could talk to you about this for hours and hours and hours and <laughs> and we have in fact but um yeah. what what we thought when we were inviting you to be a guest on our podcast first of all was how courage drove you how the fact of encouraged but in the sense of what also Brené Brown says is the courage to be oneself and to speak one truth it's not just bravery it's a, it's a very deep uh, feeling is showing all vulnerabilities not being afraid of making certain choice because those choices are, are, are who you are and what you're saying is who you are so when we thought about you, we thought about this word. And because you have left a very steady job for creating mm -hmm. your own school and you are creating an, a wonderful community in Brussels, but this has taken a lot of courage to do it. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about, you know, this, you know, because you mentioned also just to add what, to what Roberta said is that journey how was that journey? How did you get there? And how that courage coming in, and as, as Roberta said, to then take that step to do the thing where you're speaking that truth? Oh, this is a really great question. Thank you. Um, I think I'll start by saying that any step you take in a direction uh, defines um, what you do later and makes everything else easier. So, so my decision, for instance, um, to be brave enough to go into Ryan's class, even though I was scared of improv, um, opened that door for me. Uh, but it was really 50-50. I could have just as easily told myself, oh, it's not for me, and then who knows where I would be today. Um, and, um, and something that's, I guess, relevant maybe for the listeners is um, where I come from. And uh, because um, I am the firstborn daughter of a firstborn daughter of Greek immigrants. Um, my mother, um, uh, who's a huge influence on me uh, and who I love dearly. Um, she was uh, the first child in her family to go to university in her generation. Uh, and she emigrated with her family to Canada when she was uh, in the 60s, when she was eight years old. Um, and uh, in her last years of high school, she worked in the family restaurant at the same time as uh, she did her homework. Um, she... She, she grew up with that mantra of because we're not from here, we have to work twice as hard to prove that we're worth it. Um, and so like in many immigrant uh, communities, uh, there are certain values and the values of, of, of uh, reputation, uh, you know, being able to be proud of oneself for the work that you do um, and, and academia, you know, doing well, being successful, uh, showing that you deserve your place here. Uh, my dad um, went to MIT, um, which is uh, one of the best universities in, in America. And when they got together, they had already planned their life for their children. Like, obviously, you know, like uh, when I was born, like, it, obviously, I was going to go to Harvard. Like, that was what they were saying to me. <laughs> Were, it was uh, when we were living in the States, it was Harvard, Harvard, Harvard. Um, and then when we moved uh, to, um, to Belgium uh, the first time when I was uh, seven years old, it started being Oxford, Oxford, Oxford. 
so, so um, like my parents, uh, there was the expectation uh, that I would succeed in life and that success in life translated very, um, very specifically into first being a, an A student, then going to a great university and then having a fantastic career. Um, and obviously getting married, having babies, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the, that's, the, that's the Greek. The whole nine yards. <laughs> yes. And, and in, um, in those uh, early stages of my life, I, I did do them proud. I became, um, I was an A grade student. I went to Cambridge University. I did well. I got uh, my first job at 21, uh, which uh, a job that um, that was offered to me uh, by Stelios Adrianu himself, who was the founder of EasyJet. Um, It was a company called Easy Cruise. And I was at 21, by far the youngest person working in that company. And in my group of uh, Greek friends in Athens, the only person my age to not be in university and have a good job. Uh, So... um, in those early stages, I, I didn't really question <laughs> any of this. Uh, and I did what was expected of me because their values were my own values. And even though I had always had a love of acting, even though I was from the year, age of 12 years old, um, what I described uh, like that happens in teenagehood had also happened to me. So I went from being a fearless uh, seven-year-old who would climb trees and climb over gates at the zoo to try and play with the animals um, into a, an extremely self-conscious teenager who didn't want to rock the boat, didn't want uh, to get teased, um, because I, I did. Um, when I was um, here as a child, um, I had an American accent in my Greek class. I, I'm a bit whiter, um, and I had frizzy hair, bad teeth, um, with braces for a long time. So I looked different, and whenever attention was put on me, um, I was bullied. Um, and so um, I would try to keep attention away from me. Um, acting was one of my um, uh, safe spaces because uh, I was good at it, and so that was something they couldn't um, make fun of me for. And, and that also is one of the reasons why I loved it. But in my parents' eyes, it was something that uh, takes me off the ultimate goal, which is academic excellence, good job, all of that. Uh, so when I discovered um, improvisation, uh, so fast forward now to 2010, um, I learned the importance of embracing mistakes, not fearing failure, being able to get up and try again. Um, and this rocked my world because um, failure, what what I had grown up, like the notion of failure uh, was the worst thing because um, you would disappoint everybody. You would let down everybody if you failed. Failure was not an option. Um, So this was the first time that I heard about failure in a positive light um, to hear about, you know, like learning from your mistakes and not being afraid of failure and getting up and trying again. Um, My reaction to failure before that was, oh, um, I'm not good at that thing, so I'm not gonna try it. I'm gonna go for the thing I'm good at (laughs) because uh, this is safe and this is something I can excel at, so obviously it will serve me and this thing that I'm not good at will not. Um, And I didn't think I was that good actually in the beginning in improv. For many years, I thought I wasn't very good. Um, And slowly, uh, because it took, took a couple of years for this failure lesson to really, um, really land with me. Um, Slowly, I accepted the fact that I am not very good at this, but I love it. And that's okay. So even though I'm not very good at this, I'm going to keep doing it because I like it. And because it's okay to fail. And slowly, um, that lesson about being okay to fail, about trying again, started sinking in because I saw that I'm actually growing. Like if I, if I do try again, I will do it better than last time. Um, and I saw that I did evolve as a player. And uh, then this translated into other areas of my life. Um, I saw that when I had the courage in a job, for instance, to, to go back and try something again or, or try something differently. Um, I, I would, I, it's not like, oh, just because I had one bad idea, they'll never listen to me again. Like, that, that it's okay. You, you can do it again. And, um, and that coupled with other lessons like about empathy and listening and uh, yes-anding, building upon each other, um, made me change as a person as well. 
So, so in that, in those first five years of doing improvisation, uh, not only um, did I become braver through this understanding that failing is okay. In fact, that's the way we grow. That's the way we learn. And and mistakes are not mistakes, but they're gifts because they take us to these unexpected places that we wouldn't have anyway. Um, I started I, I started associating that with the real world, where um, inventions, a lot of inventions, are mistakes. They were not intended to be, but then, I mean, penicillin was a mistake, I think, uh, famously. Um, it made me realize that um, actually uh, the world, my worldview was, had, had broadened and had completely changed to the teenager and early 20-something I was before. And so then my, my understanding of what was and wasn't possible for me in my life also changed. Uh, and, and even though like at, in parallel, in parallel to moving back to Brussels in 2010 and discovering the wonderful world of improv and doing it more and more and setting up a first troupe and uh, doing shows, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in parallel to all that, um, I was also getting better and better jobs, uh, getting jobs I liked more and more um, in and around EU affairs. So I worked for an NGO, I worked for the European Parliament, I worked for the British Permanent Representation um, and the European Commission. Um, and, um, and, and improv really helped me at those too. Um, and it helped me cope with some of the hard stuff in jobs too, like, like colleagues who you don't see eye to eye with, or difficult bosses, or um, having to work on something that you don't really want to work on, but you know, it is what it is. So now that I know that this is what I have to do, how can I do this to the best of my abilities? Um, and, uh, and when I was um, almost 30 years old, um, I, I was at a bit of a crossroads because I was doing so much improv and I was working so hard uh, that um, I, I felt a little bit like, okay, well, what do I want, what do I want my life to be about? What, who do I want to be? Um, and by that point, the idea of... Um, successful EU career person uh, who's obviously also a loving wife and mother with great kids had, had evaporated a little bit. I, I, had, I had been able to be like, well, no, maybe I don't want that. Maybe that's not, you know, the path for me. Um, and and I, I, I asked myself to visualize myself, you know, like age 50, 60, 70, looking back on my life. And I wondered what I would be most happy with. What would I, what would I be happy to have done with my time here? And uh, that's when I realized that the only thing in life that has given me um, joy and in which I feel like I've served uh, the world best has been improvisation. And so if I need to focus on one of these two things, um, then the answer is improv. Um, and it took, a, it took a while. I, I had to work in parallel. I set up Improbable in uh, February of 2017, but I only became a full-time uh, improviser in April of 2019. Uh, so, so there was, um, you know, this, this period of transition and of working in parallel where I still doubted myself. I still asked myself, is this the right, you know, is this the right path? Um, what am I, what do I know anyway, like about setting up a, an improv business and how many improvisers are successful if they just do that and they don't also have another day job. Um, so at the same time as I'd actually decided this, I still had all these fears that, you know, it won't work out and this, that, and, and then I realized that, um, well, you know what, let's say, let's say it all goes to pot. Let's say it doesn't work out. And, um, and I have to go back to um, the world of EU affairs. That's okay. I, I can look back at myself and be like, I tried, I gave it everything I had. And now I know that that was not for me. And this life is. Um, now that I've done it, I don't think that's the case. Uh, but, but that, that thought um, gave me the courage to actually make the very final, you know, mark of, you know, handing in your resignation notice um, at the European Commission um, and diving in wholeheartedly. Um, what you, what, just one thing that I want to, uh, to let's say underline here, what you're saying about being courageous but also having fear, this mm -hmm. is very important because being courageous does not mean being reckless, does not mean throwing yourself 
down from a hill cliff and then say, okay, uh, whatever happens, happens. Mm. That is not courageous. That courageous means taking an informed decision and say, and say, okay, if I do this, I know these are the consequences. Am yeah. I scared? Yes, mm-hmm. I am. But I still want to do it. And this is very important because sometimes courage is really mistaken with recklessness. No, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, and, and I wouldn't, I personally, I, I would not change anything. Um, I think that you should take calculated risks in life. I'm, and and we, we talk about taking risks on stage, etc. And we talk about yes, standing and not being afraid. But it doesn't mean that I want everyone to, to, to um, the, the stage is a place where anything can happen and the consequences are quite small because everything is make-believe um within that you still take calculated risks but the stakes are quite low in a scene with your partners the stakes in life are much higher um yes definitely take risks and and do what you want to do in life um but it's good to ask yourself if this doesn't work out you know what are my options um am I okay with this? Um, if my answer to this question was I couldn't live with myself, you know, then maybe I would not have done it. Um, I, I, st- I worked for um, two and a half years um, doing the, having the company um, in parallel to my work. Um, in the beginning, obviously not making much money and doing a lot more setting up an organization. Um, and, and I had to do this in, in my evenings. I had to do this on my weekends. I gave up most of my holidays um, in order to do all that, also to set up a venue uh, so that it could be transformed from what was an antique warehouse into a proper school. Um, and that was really hard, uh, but it was the right decision because I needed the certainty and I needed the day job um, where I would have the money to be able to invest in making my dream of, of having a school um, worthwhile um, to not be in debt to be able to do what I want and to be able to when I am free be truly free um, and, and the, the truth is that once you make that decision once you once you know what you want and you know what the consequences are and you take that first step after that it doesn't feel brave it feels easy because you're so focused you're so focused that you know what comes next it's, it's it becomes very intuitive the hardest thing is always making making the decision that changes things significantly. Yeah. So um, getting in that first workshop or handing in that resignation letter or, um, you know, broadcasting your intentions to the world. Once you've done those big things, um, then you, you know where your road is. You don't know where the end point of your path leads, uh, but you can see the road in front of you and you can see enough uh, light um, down the way to to know where you're headed. Um, and also, um, even at this stage, like nothing is set. Improbable has a certain form today and it has certain values um, and certain aspects um, that, that reflect the, where I am right now as an improviser and as a teacher and the performer director. Um, they may change. The school may change. Uh, everything may change. And, and I've gone also from being a person who needs certainty and who needs to know everything and needs to know the end goal to a person who's okay with that, who's like, this is what it is now. It may not always be that. And that is okay. Yes. That okay, is okay. Think, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, if you need to add another uh, line to your impressive CV, I think you could be a fantastic uh, motivational speaker because listeners, I'm like really inspired and you can't see us, but we're <laughs> nodding to everything Kelly is saying. Um, but I had two, two, maybe kind of uh, two questions on that is one Tell is, um, okay, so you, you told us about going in the improv journey and definitely underlining what you said. And, and we've, we, we've talked about this before, how what we've learned in improv, how it's helping us apply in our lives, both in our personal and professional. Mm-hmm. Um, but how was that switch to also become a teacher? Because that's interesting, because you're an improviser. Okay, you could keep going and performing, but why also teach? And mm-hmm. B, maybe it's just of interest because we're all um, living in Brussels. How why did you think that, okay, you mentioned you were at the uh, American theater company that there was a, 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 a community there. How did you think, okay, there is room for also another English speaking improv school? You know, how, how did you think, okay, Brussels could be a good 
place for that and, and, and maybe say a couple words of what you're seeing as the, um, the Brussels improv community? So kind of two oh, different questions, yeah. but uh, I'd love to hear what you think about that. Sure. Okay, let's start with why teach. Um, in the beginning, it was a challenge. It was to see if I could. Uh, uh, like, do I understand my craft well enough to pass on my experience to someone else? Uh, because I believe that teaching is one of the hardest things. I believe that teachers are natural leaders, good teachers, because ultimately what they do is they're able to influence other people and, and to impart, um, to willingly have them um, espouse uh, these lessons and, and, and uh, pass them on. Uh, I, it's a reason why I'm also in awe of parents, because parents are teachers, our, our high school teachers are teachers, good leaders are teachers as well. Um, it, because all of these people in their own way are influencing you and, and getting you to look at life through your point of view and getting them to think about the things you think about. And they may not arrive to the same conclusions as you, but they are, they are looking at it through your lens and you're allowing that to happen. Um, so, so in the beginning, it was a challenge. It was also because I was interested in the corporate world of improv and in training because um, I was always seeing that link between the stage and the workplace, um, but it all, it ended up being more than that because I ended up understanding so much more about improv through the experience of teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, sometimes I saw myself, I saw the the Kelly of 2010 listening to lessons about Yes and for the first time, and I saw I saw this reflected in the students that were trying it out and um, understanding or not understanding. Um, I, I saw them fear failure and I, I wanted to cut, you know, the amount of time it took me to be okay with it. Cause I wanted to be like, I've been there. I know it's okay. It will be okay. Um, I, I wanted to, um, to help them understand that um, this is all part of the process. And it's a, it's, it, you're, not, you're not a good or bad improviser, you're a student. Um, and I realize that I'm still a student, like even though now I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm still learning because sometimes I would see myself and I would see myself in the reactions of my students. And sometimes they were reacting in a completely different way and they were taking completely different lessons away from it. And, and that made me see some of the things I taught in a new light. Um, and it made me sometimes question, uh, question things I'd been taught, um, or it made me realize, oh, that doesn't just teach um, listening skills. That also teaches, um, um, you know, um, empathy and this and that and that and that, you know. Um, so, so teaching, I think, broadened my own understanding of improv as an improviser in so many ways. Um, I think it made me a better improviser because you, you have a more holistic view of it. Um, and, and it also, it, if you really are able to teach something, I think that m maybe you understand it better than if you can't, you know, you, yes. if there's something that's still difficult for you to grasp, you're not going to be able to impart that knowledge so easily on someone else. So that's not to say that you cannot always be better. That's not to say that you could always learn something. That's not to say that maybe your understanding could be mis misunderstood, uh, but it's just to say that if, if you are able, um, able to do that, then I think it also means that the penny has dropped in some ways. Um, and I guess also that the reactions of the students and mm -hmm. the way how each individual reacts to what you're teaching is also learning for you. Huge, huge learning, huge learning. And, and, and also hugely humbling uh, because um, uh, I don't believe in gurus. I don't believe any teacher has one right answer. Uh, one of the things that Improbable has as a value is the variety of philosophies and the variety of teaching. And that's one of the reasons why I bring so many people from abroad to come teach master classes because I'm giving you my version. I'm giving you my version of what I understand of improv and what improv is for me. Um, Sean Kinley, Joe Bill, Patty Stiles, um, Inbal, you name it. Um, each one of these teachers has uh, their own understanding and their own point of view and their, and very importantly, their own way of communicating it to each student. Uh, and, and because it's a very individual um, process, we're, we're teaching the art of, of connection 
and uh, vulnerability and, and empathy and, and acceptance. Um, the, these are soft skills um, and they are, and it's a subject matter that, that um, is uh, very, um, very differently um, taken in by each student. And maybe the way I say something will land with one person, but it won't land with another person. And maybe the way um, Ben, who's another teacher at our school, or Rosanna, uh, says something, maybe it'll land uh, better. Um, so that's why we rotate. We have rotating teachers for each, for each um, a different level, uh, because also you, you will take different things from each of our approaches. And it's the same with the, with the teachers that come and, uh, and they uh, tell us uh, from their numerous years of experience um, what their take on the craft is. Uh, so that's that's one very very long answer to why teach. <laughs> no, it's perfect. That was great. And then, uh, why did I think that there was a niche or a need in Brussels for a school dedicated to improvisation? Um, because because of my experience, because I I experienced the change in me as a human being, as as a mother, a daughter, a girlfriend, a friend. Uh, a worker um, in, in the workplace, um, I, re I realize that this is not just beneficial for, 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 for people like me and the others in the American theater company that want to get up on stage and put up a show. Uh, first of all, maybe more people want to do that. Maybe more people want to get up and, and uh, put theater. I definitely, I certainly want to see a big thriving improv community in which um, the, the wider world knows what improvisation is and they don't ask us, oh, so stand up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, because because we, we are still at a stage where we have to explain what improv is. It hasn't been around in, in Europe and certainly in our part of, of Europe for as long as it has been in Canada, for instance, for the States. Yeah. So we will still get asked very often, what is that? <laughs> in, in any context, a dinner party, a, a conference, whatever. Um, so first of so there was the ambition of making it broader, making it more known. Uh, but there was also the very real um, desire to bring something that I knew was so beneficial for all aspects of one's life uh, to a wider public. Um, Brussels is a multicultural city um, where I read somewhere, I, I don't know if it's still accurate, that one third of all Brussels residents are, are, um, are expats uh, that come from European countries that are in some way, shape or form working for the European Union, whether it's in the commission, the parliament, any of the institutions or as lobbyists or as lawyers. Um, so, so that is a, a huge um, international community uh, that is here um, to, to, serve, um, to serve public policy um, for the rest of Europe. That's huge. Um, and uh, when, when I'm in meetings, uh, when I had been in meetings in which, you know, they last an hour, they last two hours, and you feel like you've gotten nowhere, no one is truly listening to each other, but they're just waiting for the other person to stop talking so that you can tell your, so that then the other person can say their opinion. Um, it just felt to me like such a waste of everyone's time and energy uh, because I didn't feel like people were working towards the same goal or felt like they were on the same team or on the same boat, even if they were in the same company. And one quote that I like um, about um, improvisation is that it's the art of moving things forward with everyone's engagement. The art of moving things forward with everyone's engagement. Um, a good leader can also do that. A good team can also do that, but um, but teams um, which are um, all uh, talking at a crossroads or working in silos um, or only you know like caring about their own individual role in part of a process cannot work like that. A leader who's top down and doesn't listen as much as he delegates cannot do that. Um, so so I saw that there is a genuine. A genuine uh, need for the greater for the greater good. So both for individuals that come to the school and and as you have done and as you've talked about so eloquently in your first few podcasts, um, understand uh, yourself and others better, um, and then therefore you know be able to use these soft skills in in, in your daily lives. But there's also in, in equally a need to bring this into, into companies in the form of team buildings, 
communications trainings, uh, diplomacy trainings, leadership trainings. Um, and so, and, and one thing that I'm very proud of is that Improbubble is doing a lot of that. Um, I work with the European Commission a lot on team buildings and communications, for instance, but also um, organizations outside of the institutions. Um, and and uh, it's, it's something that we keep getting feedback about how they hadn't thought about things like that, that we've changed their point of view. Um, so, so that is showing me that the uh, impulse I had, which was that this is something that is good for the city and for the people working in the city serving the EU, um, so far, I, I think it's been proven right. And, and I hope that it happens more and more at a wider scale, not, not just by Impro Bubble, but by any, anyone who does improvisation and who can bring a little bit of improv um, and those soft skills um, into into these contexts. Thank you for saying this. And I don't, I, I, I know that they are commonly known as soft skills and we all know them as soft skills, but in fact, they are the strong, they are the backbone of us. If we don't have soft skills, we are not strong enough, which is a, a kind of a strange relationship, but it is mm -hmm. this, the soft skills makes us strong. If you're empathetic, if you are courageous, if you are compassionate, you are much more self-aware of yourself. You are much more prone to do things that, yeah. a, that a person that is much more self-conscious would not do. And it's, it's also yeah. the ego. I mean, if yeah. you are, um, I, I never thought of myself as a person with a big ego until I did improv and I realized my ego was out of control. I had a huge uh, <laughs> idea of myself and a huge ego and I had to cut it down to size a little bit so that I could truly let other people influence me and so that I could truly let other points of view in. Um, yeah. And listening is huge in that. Like um, if someone once said, um, I don't remember who said this, um, listening is the willingness to change. You don't have to change, but you need to be open to the possibility of changing your point of view. Um, a person with a big ego will not be able to truly listen. And, yeah. and unfortunately, um, ego is so prevalent um, in, in our daily lives um, everywhere, um, whether it's um, at work in personal relations with our families. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a little bit of ego is healthy. I'm not telling you, you know, like be doormats, everybody. Don't care about yourselves at all. Um, but I think actually a person who is able to have uh, the self uh, reflection uh, to not let their ego get in the way of hearing something that they might not want to hear is, is a much stronger person, a much more self-assured person, more self-confident person than someone who has that huge wall up and cannot listen to anything else. Yeah, we touched upon this last week also with Natalie about the ego in, and it is something that we share. Yes, and I, I literally was going to say, say the same thing, Roberta, which is spooky because we were also saying that in, in listening that you stop being the writing the script already, right? Because yeah. it's a fear of failure because it's like, okay, that person's going to say this. So then I'm going to say this super smart thing. So he doesn't know that I'm a fraud. So, you know, then we can get into this whole, uh, what is it called? Imposter syndrome, Imposter syndrome. Have yeah. to, you know, work it. So it's what you say, like, listen, but really be there. Yeah. It's okay. Take that breath. Like in a scene, if someone says to you, don't be afraid of silences and me who talks a lot, I struggle with this, but like, it's really being like, listen, don't write the script already. Just mm -hmm. be, it's okay. Be a bit vulnerable, be a bit open. It's just, mm -hmm. I want the listening is so important. Yeah. And yeah. on this, we, I think we shall close because I mean, <laughs> we, we have been talking and it's been so enjoyable that we have lost track of time. And I think we are more or less 50 minutes into the podcast. So dear listeners, if you made it so far, you will do it. <laughs> but I mean, it was so interesting and it, we are so grateful for you because if Improbable was not there, if you did not have this idea of bringing, of creating a huge improvised community in Brussels, we would not be here. We would not be, Liga and myself and Stefan, who is listening to us, is not, would not be here. We would not have created this is not a horse and you were a huge encouragement for us you were a, one of our first groupies and we really really thank you for that because you were the first one we we contacted when we had the idea and asking for your advice and you were so precious to us and we are so honored that you have been with us on our podcast
I, I thank you so much, Roberta. I, one of the most gratifying things uh, for me has been to watch uh, people uh, take uh, uh, take uh, have this infectious enthusiasm for improv and and go and 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 start creating uh, their own troupe or creating their own thing or or finding their own voice and develop themselves. So um, it, it's it's really it's you're, you're you're making me proud and you're 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 doing me the honor because. Um, I see that that you I see how much you love it. I see how much you're growing and it just warms my heart. You're the third troop to come out of the school. You're still so engaged and so involved, um, not just with your own troop, but with the with the projects that happen in Improbable in general. And and it's it's a family in a way. It's it's our little improv family. And uh, in Brussels, it's growing too. There are more troops coming out, not just from the school, but from other schools and, and from other other areas. Um, and it's just a very, very satisfying and wonderful thing to see see that it's happening. Im improv is growing and and it's growing in a very healthy environment of trust and support, not of um, of ambition and um, not ambition is good. I mean, unchecked ambition and ego and and a kind of uh, race against each other. So that makes me extremely happy, and I'm very excited to see where you go next. And I'll be here cheering from the sidelines, um, coaching or helping you in any way you need me to. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Kelly. I'm getting a bit misty-eyed, but I just wanted to add a very last thing because I think it's important to say that really thanks to Improv and, and, and thanks to you bringing this community, you know, I've met people I wouldn't have met because when we get older, and this is, I think, Jerry Seinfeld has a bit about this and one of, it's like making friends when you're older, especially. It's like when you're young, it's like, he says, you're on the playground, I have a cookie, you have a cookie, let's be best friends. But when you're older, you know, you have your circle and you have your routines, but I've met people who really changed my life and I've mm. changed with them. So that you're bringing these people and having them, whether it's out of the comfort zone or just meet someone that they might not have come across because of their, their day job or anything. That's also something I wanted to mention. And, and as a closing to say, listeners, as always, go try out improv. You can meet someone new. You can discover something new about yourself. Be creative. Yeah. 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 Okay. Amen to all of that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you again, Kelly. I agree with everything. <laughs> thank you. Oh. So thank you, Kelly. Thank you, listeners. Uh, we will be back soon with our fifth episode. Um, so follow us on This Is Not A Horse Facebook page. And This Is Not A Horse Instagram. This is underscore not a horse. Um, wishing you that you're all staying well. And a very last thing I want to add in the link to this episode, we will add a link to Impro Bubble, which yes. is that uh, Kelly yes. started. So you can find out more about that if you're in Brussels or even beyond. Um, so, yeah. Yes. So, thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.